Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Principle of Deliverance. The Principle of Deliverance, brothers and sisters. Today's topic, today's lesson will be centered around deliverance, brothers and sisters. Um, the Bible tells you as we get closer to the the end or the second at the second advent or second coming of the Messiah, that there would be demons running loose, brothers and sisters. Right. So that would mean that what? There would be a lot of demon possession, brothers and sisters, according to the Bible. Now, when you have a lot of demon possession, brothers and sisters, at that point, now you need revival. Now you need deliverance first and then revival, right? And we're going to deal with that deliverance part today. Let's go to Luke, the fourth chapter in the 18th verse. Luke 4 and 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Look at this closely, brothers and sisters. Here we discover that the ancient tradition of anointing implies possession of the Holy Spirit. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. See that? So when you go into the Old Testament, this is laying on of hands. This is the custom here, brothers and sisters, that when the... Uh, oil or when a brother David or Gideon or any of these brothers was anointed, it represent the spirit of God being upon these brothers. Okay. So that's what the olive represents. That's what the oil represents. The light brothers and sisters. Okay. Can you read that again? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To who? To the poor. In this passage, Christ said that the gospel was for the poor and oppressed, speaking to those at the margins of society. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To do what? He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, so here Christ echoes Isaiah's theme of good news concerning restoration and the deliverance of God's people. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. To do what? Preach deliverance to the captives. To do what? Preach deliverance to the captives. Christ here implies or applies Isaiah 61 to his ministry. Brothers and sisters, the spirit has anointed him to bring liberation. You see that? Brothers and sisters, here are prisoners, captives in the war against Satan bound by sin. Let's read that again, brother. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. See that, brothers and sisters? We're dealing with that. We're going to deal with that deliverance to the captives, brothers and sisters. Okay? Because why? Christ said this is the message that ought to be taught. Okay? Let's go to Romans, brothers and sisters. We, we wanted to show you just a few things in that particular passage, right? Number one, occupancy of the Holy Spirit demonstrated that the author demonstrated the, the authority of the speaker. So the very first thing the author did was highlight his authority to speak. Read it again, please, brother. Luke 4 and 18. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me. See that? So now he's telling you, this is my authority. Okay. This is my authority to speak. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. See, because you have to be anointed to preach the gospel. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. All right, let's go to Romans, the sixth chapter, the 22nd verse. Why? Because the, the topic is deliverance, brothers and sisters, right? Deliverance. How can we be delivered when we're dealing with a lot of spirits? We're dealing with a lot of addictions, brothers and sisters. We're dealing with a lot of things um, as we're dealing with spiritual captivity, brothers and sisters. A, a mental bondage that we're struggling with right now, brothers and sisters. How can we break free? Romans 6 and 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, notice, ultimately, we do not free ourselves. We have been freed. Read that one more time, because according to the text, the Most High alone is the decisive deliverer from this slavery. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin. What did that say? Being made free from sin. The freedom from sin implies Deliverance, brothers and sisters, see? Being made free from sin and become servants to God. Examine the, the transferal from the service of one master to that of another. Let's read that one more time. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin. Now being made free from sin, do what? Become servants to God. See that? Instead of being slaves of sin, we are now slaves of Christ, producing fruit of holiness. Continue. Ye have your fruit unto holiness. What is the fruit of what? The fruit of what? Being made free from sin is holiness, brothers and sisters. This is what he's telling you. And... And the end everlasting see, life. So he tells you what you get in the moment and what you get in the future. See that, brothers and sisters? You were being made free from sin. Why? So you could become a servant of God. Why? So what do we see here, brothers and sisters? What do we see in this particular text? The, the theological word for this is sanctification. Okay, brothers and sisters. It's the process of becoming holy. Let's read that one more time. Romans 6 and 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God. Look at that. That's the principle we want to deal with. That you're made free from sin. Why? To become a servant of God. So now we see right away, deliverance is tied to a future submission. You see that? You were made free from sin to become a servant of God. So now we learn a principle about deliverance. Let us see. Is that a one-off? Let's go to 1 Samuel 7 and 3. Let's see. Is that a one-off? Or is that a principle of the Most High God, right? Let's go to 1 Samuel 7 and 3, brothers and sisters. 1 Samuel 7 and 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord 
and serve him wholly. And do what? Me, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine this because Samuel called the nation to repentance. Okay, our last lesson was on repentance. If you have not, um, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, brothers and sisters, we would encourage you to do so. The title is the first message of the Messiah. The topic is repentance. Okay, so, so I apologize for the sidebar. Can you read that one more time, brother? For Samuel 7 and 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. What is the conditional promise that God makes to Samuel? Read that again. If ye, if ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Deliverance, according to the text, is the outcome of service. See that? Deliverance is the outcome of service as indicated in the text. Read that one more time, brother. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. With what? With all your heart. Now that's there. It's clear, brothers and sisters, this repentance had to be inward. That's why he said return with all your heart. See? How do you return? Put away the strange gods. You see that? That's how you return. <laughs> you see? So he said, I'll deliver you. I'll deliver you. Read. Then put away the strange gods and asteroids from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. And serve him only. See that? So he's telling you, I'll deliver you from the other gods, but you have to serve the Most High only. Okay? We're not delivering you to do what, you know, for you to do what you think is right. Do what you think you want to do. No. The Most High doesn't operate like that. You see that, brothers and sisters? Here we see that repentance and future submission to the Most High are fundamental to the deliverance in the Bible. Right? Look at that again. Read that one more time, brother. There's some words there that we want to examine. Verse 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. And? And serve him only. Do what? Serve him only. Serve him only. And what? And he will deliver you. See that? He said, serve him and he'll deliver you. See? Future service. This is a conditional promise, brothers and sisters. He said, serve me, I'll deliver you. <laughs> See? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 because there's a principle. The Bible tells you that what? Noah, excuse me, not Noah. Moses knew the ways of the Most High. While Israel knew the acts of the Most High. We only knew what the Most High had done for our people. We didn't really understand why he had done it or how he, would do, he had done it or how he makes any decisions. That's why he used the leadership, the prophets. They understood why the Most High did certain things as opposed to just knowing, yes, he gave us manna. Yes, he gave us manna. Why did he give us manna? What was he trying to teach us? Yes, he split the Red Sea. Why did he split the Red Sea? We're seeing it right now for deliverance. Okay. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the 20th verse. 
Go to the New Testament here. First Corinthians six and twenty. For ye are bought with a price. Read that again, please, brother. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body and spirit are both bought with the body and spirit of Christ. Okay, brothers and sisters, a redemption implies the paying of a ransom or the acquisition of something redeemed. So when it says what, what did it say, brother? For ye are bought with a price. You have been bought with a price. That's redeemed. To redeem means to buy back, brothers and sisters. It's saying you were redeemed with a price and therefore. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So look at that. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which is indicative of what? It indicates that there's glorification for the body and spirit. They're separate, okay? There's things that need to be done for the body. There's things that need to be done for the spirit, okay? Brothers and sisters, see that? Therefore, glorify God in your body, in your spirit. That means there's a way in which we can glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Both. Read that one more time, brother, please. First Corinthians 6 and 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. See, so Paul illustrates with his statement that we have been freed from slavery to sin, brothers and sisters. Because why? We've been purchased. We are under the obligation to the one who has purchased us. And that's what the point, that's the point he was proving here. He said, let me first prove legal right. What was legal right? I bought you with the price. So the first thing he shows is legality, okay? That this is binding. This relationship is authentic. It's binding, okay? And then he gives you your service. I bought you with the price, and therefore, there's a service that should be connected to that. And that's a glorification in the body and in spirit, which are both gods. See that? Let's go to Exodus 8 and 1, brothers and sisters. Exodus 8 and 1. What's that say, Brother Christopher? And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith who? Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go. Why? That they may serve me. See that? Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, the capacity for faithful worship is critical to the well-being of God's people because it was telling you that we weren't worshiping. <laughs> and therefore, it led to what? Read it again, brother, please, because this is deliverance here. When he says, let my people go, that's deliverance. So here it is. We are not worshiping and we need to be delivered. There is a correlation between a lack of worship and a need for deliverance, brothers and sisters. Let's read that again. Verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go. Let my people go. That they may serve me. Why? That they may serve me. Moses is here directed to give notice to Pharaoh of an impending judgment should he continue in his obstinacy. Continue, brother. Verse 2, and if thou refuse to let them go, behold, 
I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And we remember all the plagues, right? So the Most High said, let them go that they may serve me. Not just let them go. <laughs> let them go to serve me. So according to the text, it was their willingness to submit that led to their deliverance. <laughs> See? It was the willingness to submit. Are you willing to submit? See? We're learning the principle of deliverance. There is a principle that we can find all throughout the manuscript, brothers and sisters, and it works every time, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Luke, brother. Luke 1 and 68. Let's go there because we're talking about redemption now. We talk, we move to redemption, being redeemed or being purchased or bought back. We're going to read 68 through 74. Luke 1 and 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. For he hath, he hath visited and redeemed his people. Notice it says hath or has visited. And that's past tense, which describes this future event. So certain that it speaks as if this has already occurred. <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? Read. Verse 69. And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant. Read, read 68 one more time. There's a piece there we need to, we need to get. Luke 1 and 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? For he hath visited and redeemed his people. Who did he redeem? He hath visited and redeemed his people. No, he redeemed all people, brother. Redeemed his people. Okay, now in order to accurately interpret this prophecy, we need to establish who are his people. Brothers and sisters, you are listening to his people. His people are the children of Israel, which are the Negroes, the natives, the Hispanics, right? Okay, so a lot of the, you got the Mexicans, the Black Wats Hyenos, the Puerto Ricans, um, a lot of the Vietnamese and Cambodians over there, the, the brothers down in Peru and Brazil, all these areas, the Philippines, all these areas, these are God's chosen people, brothers and sisters, the Negroes, the people down in Haiti, the people down in the West Indies, these are God's people, okay, brothers and sisters, so I want to be clear on that, just in case... Maybe you are just finding our broadcast. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Now, one person may say, well, God is unjust. God is unjust because he came to redeem his people. Was there someone else who needs redemption? No, because we were the one that was under the law. <laughs> okay. So what, do you, what does anyone else need redemption for? They were not under the law of sacrifice. Okay, read. Verse 69. And hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake what, by the... What, what did he say in, in, in 69, brother? Verse 69. And hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in no. the house. David. Notice the verb has raised up is spoken by Zacharias in the past tense about an event still in the future. Brothers and sisters, notice that. 
and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the road began, mm. that we should be saved from our enemies. This is salvation, brothers and sisters. Okay, what is it? Verse 70, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the road began, that we should be saved from our enemies. See, this is salvation, brothers and sisters, okay? So this is what salvation is in the context of the children of Israel and the Bible, okay? It's being saved from our enemies. And? And from the hand of all that hate us. See, so there is someone out there that hate us, okay? Verse 72. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. See, he a mercy promised to our fathers, brothers and sisters. See, he promised something to our fathers that we have not yet received. And the other nations know this. Verse 73, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. And then he tells you what promise he's referring to. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. That what? That we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. Deliverance. That what? That we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. That we might do what, brother? Serve him without fear. See that? Deliverance, service. Deliverance, service. Zacharias foresees the day when Israel will be free from the tyranny of all of our enemies, brothers and sisters. See, he said that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve the Most High without fear. So what you'll find is deliverance is always tied to service, brothers and sisters, okay? At least a willingness to serve. At least a willingness to serve. Because why? Sometimes a willingness to serve is all it needs because God is merciful. <laughs> and through his strength, not through your strength, but through his strength, through the strength of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Malachi, brother. Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the third chapter. We'll have Brother Christopher read the 16th and the we'll read 16 through 18. Malachi 3 and 16. What's that say, brother? Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Brothers and sisters, when God's people speak to one another in this way, the Most High listens from heaven. Let's read that again, brother. Verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often. They that feared the Lord spake often. They that feared the Lord spake often one to another. So they spoke about the fear of the Most High. That was the content of their conversations, right? And the Lord hearkened. See that? The Most High listened. And heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. See that? So there's a book just based on those who have the proper level of fear of the Most High. Okay? And that thought upon his name. And that what? 
and that thought upon his name. So here, the Most High, we see, the Most High loves to listen to the holy talk of a holy people. It says that the Most High hearken, right? Continue. We, we've, we, there's also, it says, and a book, what, brother? And a book of remembrance was written before him. Now, why would a book of remembrance need to be written? The reward is often delayed, brothers and sisters, and that's why books were needed to ensure no worthy deed went unrecognized. Remember the book of Esther, right? Remember Mordecai in Esther, right? According to the author, canonized and chronicled are those who fear the Most High God. Continue, brother. Verse 17. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Read that again. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them. He will spare us. As a man spareth his own son that serveth him. See that, brothers and sisters? The Most High's willingness to spare you depends on your willingness to submit. See, God's willingness to deliver you is dependent on your desire to submit, brothers and sisters. He said, as a man spareth his son that serveth him. So there was a qualifier. He didn't say, as a man spareth his son. He said, as a man spareth his son that serveth him. So there was a qualifier there, brothers and sisters. So once again, we're seeing service. We're seeing deliverance. We're seeing submission. See? Let's go to Luke 11, brother. Let's go back to the book of Luke 11, and uh, we'll read 24 through 26. Luke. 11 and 24. Let's talk about deliverance now. Let's show you what deliverance looks like now. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. Now, immediately apparent in the text is the man's deliverance because it tells you what? When an, <clears throat> when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. That's called deliverance, okay? He walketh through dry places. Seeking rest. Now, look at this. Here we read the unclean spirit's course of action immediately after his deliverance. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. Where's he gone? He walketh through dry places. Brothers and sisters, spirits are always in dry places. When you read the Bible, where was Christ being tempted at? Where was he at when he was being tempted in Matthew 4? The wilderness. All the things that happened in the wilderness for those 40 years, brothers and sisters, this is why a lot of this stuff goes down in the deserts. A lot of demons, a lot of spirits are in the deserts. And now you see the representation of baptism because why? Unclean spirits love dry places, brothers and sisters. The Bible said, if you believe on me as the scripture have said, from his belly would flow rivers of living water. See that? So it means from his belly, his spirit, the spirit. The Bible refers to belly and spirit together. You see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, please. Verse 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest. Seeking what, brother? Seeking rest. 
and finding none, he said, What did he say? I will return unto my house whence I came out. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Here we read the the unclean spirit's course of action. And what does it say he did, brothers and sisters? According to the text, their ability to rest is shackled to their ability to occupy a vessel. Read that one more time, please, brother. Because he said he was seeking rest, right? Luke 11 and 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest. Deliverance. He's been delivered. And finding none, he said, I will return unto my house whence I came out. Now, it's clear that according to the, the author, the author, he's teaching us that without a potential body, unclean spirits cannot find rest. Okay? Continue. Verse 25. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and he, guarded. He said, I'll go back to the brother or sister in which I was, I was, you know, kicked out of. Whether that was through baptism or fasting or whatever the case is, I'm going to go back there. So it's showing you that what? Deliverance comes in twos, brothers and sisters. You really haven't been delivered until it comes back. <laughs> okay, to make sure that you've been delivered. Because it always comes back. Those same things that you struggled with, that you thought you had put behind you, they come back years later, brothers and sisters, even in the truth. Just to see, did you really change? Did you really change? See? Read those uh, those scriptures one more time, brother, please. Luke 11 and 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest. And finding none, he said, I will return unto my house. I, I will return. Out. I'm going back. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. What does that mean, swept and garnished? That means it's empty. There's no Holy Spirit there. See, it's empty. It's just a vessel. It's, it's not occupied. Verse 26. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Look at that. So it's telling you, guess what? One should deliver it from that spirit if you don't find something else to serve. See? If you don't find some somewhere to be protected, if you don't find a hedge to get up under, then we're coming back with the whole gang, <laughs> as the kids say, right? See? It's telling you, listen, if you don't find somewhere to serve, you're going to serve somebody, okay? Because that's how God made us. God made us to serve, okay? You will serve. Whom you will serve is your choice. That's why the, that's why Elijah said, choose today whom you shall serve. Because you will serve somebody. See? So what do we see, brothers and sisters? Deliverance, which is not contingent on future submission, is illegitimate. See? Because why? Here it was, the brother was delivered, yet didn't find another spirit to serve, to minister to, to minister for, and therefore became overcome again. Why? Because he didn't keep the promise of what? <laughs> of his deliverance. See? And that's the key. If you don't keep the promise of your deliverance, they come back with seven. You see that, brothers and sisters? They don't come back with one. 
If you make a vow to the Most High, they come back with the seven to make it that much harder to actually identify what you're dealing with now, brothers and sisters, to know what spirit you're dealing with now, because now he's brought seven others. And now he can hide because obviously if you cast out the other spirit, you knew what it was because you can't cast out a spirit that you don't know exists. See this? Now you're learning spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters. Now you're learning warfare. Let's go to Isaiah 63, brother. Isaiah, the 63rd chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read 1 through 7. Isaiah 63 and 1. What's that say, brother? Who is that that cometh, <clears throat> excuse me, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? The first question has to do with the identity of the one who approaches. Can you read that again, brother? Who is this that cometh from Edom? With dyed garments from Bozrah. This is Christ coming from Edom. This is a prophecy. What is Edom? Edom represents the Edomites or the white man. The white man is called an Edomite in the Bible. It says Christ is coming from Europe with what? Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? With dyed garments from Bozrah. Bozrah, if you know anything about history, especially the Edomites, that was their capital city. That was where their economics went. That was where the money was was uh, was uh, the money was kept there at Bozrah. It was their capital, their economic capital city, brothers and sisters. This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. Glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness. Mighty to say, read, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? Why are you red in your apparel, Christ? In thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. The second question asks an explanation for the striking appearance of his garments. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 2, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? In thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. Why are your white garments red, Christ? I have trodden the wine press alone. I have trodden the wine press alone. And of the people, there was none with me. And out of those people, what people? The Edomites. It's not saying all white people. It's telling you the top, the head. He went to the head. How do we know it's talking about the head of the white man? Because it told you he came from Bozrah. Bozrah was the chief city. So he's telling you he went amongst the chief Europeans. The chief white people, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the DuPonts, etc., etc. They were none would with him. He's not saying there was no white, there's no Edomites, no white people that's with him. He's saying at the top. Okay? Read that one more time, brother, please. Because Edom was the land originally inhabited by Jacob's older twin brother Esau, who is the white man. Isaiah 63 and 3. I have trodden the winepress alone. Look at this. Examine the text closely. It says his garments were spattered with blood. And of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. 
and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. See? And I will stain all my raiment. This wine press is speaking of the judgment of God against this evil people. Continue, brother. Verse 4. For the day of vengeance is mine in heart. Look at this, brothers and sisters. The red stained condition of the garments has been caused by his trampling blood in the wine press. See? So these, these verses reveal that the Messiah will utterly defeat Edom at his second coming. Read the fourth verse, brother, please. Verse 4. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart. And the year of my redeemed is come. See, so the Messiah's future reckoning with the wicked will coincide with his redemption of Israel. See, look at that. He said, the day of my vengeance is tied to my redeemed. See, read that again, brother. Isaiah 63 and 4. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed is come. So in the year of my redeemed, that's when vengeance is in his heart for what has been done to us, brothers and sisters. See? So when the year of his redeemed come, then the vengeance of his heart will spill. Isaiah 63. See? Now hold up. Hold up now. Because we just talked about deliverance. And according to the Bible, European countries, Europeans going to have to make a choice because if you continue to follow your government, you're going to be destroyed. Okay? If you continue to follow this, the Democrats and the, this politics and all this, the, the way they have this thing set up, brothers and sisters, if you continue, you will fall. Let's go to Romans 12 and 19 because there's a principle that all of our white brethren Brothers and sisters, we need to get. Because we know there's many white people that learn with us. We've baptized countless white people into our church. Romans 12 and 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Now, why did we go here? Because somebody may say, well, hold up. Is Christ advocating violence against white people? Read it again, brother, please. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But do what? But rather give place unto wrath. Why? For it is written, vengeance is mine. Who's his vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Who's his vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is God's. I will repay, saith the Lord. Saith the commandment keeper's church. Saith the Lord. Saith brother Sid. Saith the Lord. Saith brother Christopher. Saith the Lord. See that? Vengeance is God's. See? So we always said vengeance was God's. And now that God's vengeance has come, we want to question it. <laughs> See? Hold up. We, we said vengeance was God's. Well, that's God's vengeance. He have mercy on whom he have, will have mercy on. So let's, let's, let's keep it real here, brothers and sisters. Okay? Let's keep it real. Let's go to Revelations 19, brother. 19 and 11. Follow us to Revelation 19 and 11, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Principle of Deliverance. We're talking about deliverance today, brothers and sisters. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Okay? We're talking about being relinquished. Okay? Let's read uh, 11 through 15, brother. 
Revelation 19 and 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. A what? A white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. To have a horse in battle was considered a significant advantage. Brothers and sisters, a horse, it spoke of honor, of, of power, of speed. The color of this horse speaks of victory, right? This is white, right? White is victorious. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Look at this, because we just read... That what? He was coming against the, 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 the heads of the Edomites, the governments, the, the elites of the Edomites, the Europeans, right? And he's telling you, I do make war in righteousness. Jump to verse, jump to verse uh, chapter 6 and 8, brother, really quick. Jump to chapter 6 and 8, same book. I want you to take a look at something here. Revelation 6 and 8. Because remember, it said that there was a white horse, right? And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death. Read that again, brother. Please do not overlook this critical difference. What critical difference? Continue. Verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. What cuddle was this horse? A pale horse. See? So Christ is coming on a white horse. Death is coming on a pale horse. Do you see? Christ warned that many would be deceived by those who claim to represent him. Christians. See that? So now we have another rider on a pale horse. It's not the white horse. It's the pale horse. It's the imposter. So you will never hear this in your churches because these are government-sponsored churches, brothers and sisters. Read that again, please. Revelation 6 and 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth let's go back to revelations 19 now 19 and 11 we're going back to where we were follow us there brothers and sisters please revelation 19 and 11 and i saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. A what? A white horse. No, a pale horse, brother. A white horse. A white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Faithful and true. And? And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. See, so Christ is described as riding on a white horse coming to judge and make war. The idea of a rider on a white horse in the first century was that of a, a victorious conqueror, brothers and sisters. So this is the this this that's the, the the image that's being painted here. Christians never told us that Christ was coming to make war. Why have we never heard this before? 
Who is he making war against? See? It would behoove you if you are a follower of the general, <laughs> the Messiah. You may want to find out who the general is at war with. Why? Brothers and sisters, if I live in America and America goes to war with Russia, I have now been I've now been pulled into a war. Because why? Just because of where I live, just because of who I am. I'm an American. So because of that, now I'm in war with Russians or Australians. See, just by where you are, just by who you are, <laughs> just by what type of citizen you are. If a citizen of Australia, right, if there's a citizen who lives in Australia and a citizen who lives in New York City and Australia and New York City go to war, guess what? That brother in New York City is at war with that brother in Australia. See, you pick up the war from the one you serve. Let's read that one more time, brother. Revelation 19 and 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Continue, brother. His eyes were as a flame of fire. What did that say? His eyes were as a flame of fire. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written. Read that part again. On his head was what, brother? He had a name written. And no. on, excuse me. And on his head were many crowns. He had many crowns. Now, remember the last time this earth saw Christ, he wore a crown of thorns, brothers and sisters. Okay? And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew. So he will have a new name. We know his name right now is Yeshia, okay, which means Savior. Not Yeshua, not uh, Yeshua, or, or any of those other names that they're, they're claiming that is Christ. Yahawadai, Yahawashai, all of those are wrong. Christ's name is Savior. Go look at what Savior or salvation is in Hebrew. It's very clear. It's very easy. Okay. And what is that? Yeshia. Yeshia is Christ's name. Not Yeshua. Yeshua is not Christ. That doesn't even translate to that. <laughs> okay. To so look into these things, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Matthew 24, brothers. Let's go to Matthew 24. The infamous Matthew 24. We'll have Brother Christopher read 37 through 42. Matthew 24 and 37. What's that say, brother? But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of Son of Man be. Now, brothers and sisters, Christ announces a parabolic comparison between his second coming and that of the days of Noah. Can you read that again, brother? But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now he goes into the days of Noah. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. What were they doing? They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage 
Until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Into the day that Noah. So Noah's day was characterized by preoccupation with trivial matters and the neglect of spiritual concerns. He's telling you that they were just having a good old time eating, drinking, marrying, right? Verse 39. And knew not until the flood came. And what? And knew not until the flood came. Oblivious to the judgment of God, the inhabitants of the earth were caught unprepared by the flood. And took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Read that part again. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Now, brothers and sisters, this text is frequently misinterpreted to support the rapture theory. We're going to help you break it down. Okay, brothers and sisters, this is the scripture that Christian theologians utilize to deceive us. Let's read that again, brother Christopher. Matthew 24 and 40. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. The one shall be what? The one shall be taken. One shall be taken. And the other left. One shall be left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken. One shall be taken. And the other left. Now, jump back up. Jump back up, brothers and sisters, to, uh, jump back up to verse 37. Matthew 24 and 37. But as the days of Noah were. That's the key. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Just as the days of Noah. Who was taken in the days of Noah, brothers and sisters? Because Christ said, as in the day of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So who was taken during the days of Noah? It certainly wasn't the righteous. They inherited the earth after God removed the wicked. <laughs> Let's prove that. Let's go to the Apocrypha, brother. Let's go to Second Ezra, the third chapter, just to show you that the Apocrypha belongs in the Bible. Because why would the Bible be talking about no? Excuse me. Why would the Apocrypha talk about Noah if it doesn't belong there? Right. Second Ezra, the third chapter, the ninth verse. We'll read 9 through 11. The question was, who was taken? Was it the righteous or was it the wicked? Second Edris 3 and 9. What's that said, brother? And again, in process of time, thou broughtest the flood upon those that dwelt in the world and destroyeth them. And it came to pass in every of them that as death was to Adam, so was the flood to these. Nevertheless, one of them thou leftest. Read that again. Nevertheless, one of them thou leftest. One of them thou did what? Nevertheless, one of them thou leftest. Namely, Noah. One of you, one of them I left, he says. Namely, Noah with his household of whom came all righteous men. It's clear from this passage that the Bible does not support the rapture doctrine. See, the ones taken are not the believers, but the unbelievers, as it was true in Noah's day. See, nevertheless, one of them thou leftest, namely Noah. 
So the one taken is taken in judgment. The one remaining is blessed to enter into the kingdom of God. See? So they've convinced you that if you're still here, you're actually, you're actually worse off. That it's better to be dead by this time. <laughs> See? As indicated by the text, only the righteous are left to settle on the earth. Read that again, brother, please. Read verse 11. Second Edgers 3 and 11. Nevertheless, one of them thou leftest, namely Noah with his household, of whom came all righteous men. As indicated by the text, only the righteous are left to settle on the earth. You see that? Read the next scripture. Verse 12. And it happened that when they that dwelt upon the earth began to multiply. When they dwelt on the earth. So now they had dwelt on the earth. Why, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Why? Because the Bible said, listen, I'm only going to deliver those who will serve me. See that? We learned that with Noah. Noah would serve. He was spared. See? Submission. Deliverance. Cannot have one without the, without the other. If you try to have one without the other, it is illegitimate. It is not authentic. It is not organic. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 44, brother, because see, this is why they took the Apocrypha out of the Bible, because there's so many lies that they've taught over the years that they could only keep secret by pulling this out and convincing us it, it, was, it, it shouldn't be canonized. It's non-canonical. Ecclesiasticus 44 and 17. What's that saying, brother? Noah was found perfect and righteous. In the time of wrath, he was taken in exchange for the world. Therefore was he left as a remnant unto the earth. Therefore what? Therefore was he left as a remnant unto the earth. When? When the flood came. In the aftermath of the flood, who was left? Read that again. Noah was found perfect and righteous. In the time of wrath, he was taken in exchange for the world. Therefore was he left as a remnant so, unto the earth. So as a result of the flood, who remained? Therefore was he what? Therefore was he left as a remnant See, unto the earth. See, those who are left are the righteous. So the text suggests that those taken away are taken for eternal judgment, not rapture. Okay? While those left behind remain with Christ. Scripture is unsupportive of the rapture doctrine. This is a part of the political agenda that came with the Roman Catholic Church, brothers and sisters. See, don't worry about anything. You just be a good slave and you'll float up into heaven. Okay? Don't follow no law. <laughs> don't worry about anything. Just live your life, YOLO. Okay? And you'll float up into heaven. See, this is the garbage they teach slaves. Let's go to 2nd Ezra 13, brother. Because we're still dealing with that part of the rapture. We need to uncover that doctrine. Because that doctrine is deeply ingrained. That doctrine is deeply ingrained. Let's go to 2nd Ezra 13 and 16. The title of today's lesson, brothers and sisters, is the principle of deliverance. We're talking about deliverance today. 
Second Ezra 13 and 16. For as I conceive in mine understanding, woe unto them that shall be left in those days, and much more woe unto them that are not left behind. Now, why do we bring this out? Because we went when we went into Isaiah and Christ coming from Edom with Bozrah and making war. We need people to know that you will not be floated up into heaven. You will be living at this time, hopefully. You either be living or dead, but you won't be in heaven. That's for sure. So we're seeing something here. Okay, brothers and sisters, preparation is what we're seeing here. Read that again. Verse 16. For as I conceive in mine understanding... Woe unto them that shall be left in those days. Woe be unto them that are left in those days. Those that are left behind. And much more woe unto them that are not left behind. They convinced us that if you're left behind, you're actually a non-believer. You see how they switched this, brothers and sisters? They've actually convinced that the righteous are the, the wicked. And the wicked are the righteous. They came up with books... In all this, they came out with movies. I remember seeing the movies, you know, when I was a young. I think they had Nicolas Cage, I think, in one of them and all that, brothers and sisters. They put all this, you know, money into these uh, Hollywood productions, straight theatrics. Planes are going down because the, the pilots are Christian. Okay, you know, the cubicle is, the clothes are in the cubicle. Cubicles there, but brother was a Christian, so you know his shoes are still there. This is the this is the garbage that they teach unlearned slaves, brothers and sisters. Okay, this is why they took this out of the Bible. Let's read it again from the top, sixteen through twenty, brother. Second Edgers thirteen and sixteen. For as I conceive in mine understanding. Woe unto them that shall be left in those days, and much more woe unto them that are not left behind. For they that were not left were in heaviness. Those who were not left were in heaviness. Now understand I the things that are laid up in the latter days, which shall be happen, excuse me, which shall happen unto them, and to those that are left behind. I understand what shall transpire as it pertains to those who will be left behind. Verse 19. Therefore are they come into great perils and many necessities, like as these dreams declare. Yet it is easier for him that is in danger to come into these things. Than to pass away as a cloud out of the world. Look at this. The text is telling you those left behind will come into great perils. Okay. There is going to be a lot of death. And we're going to have to live that. Yet. Verse 20. Verse 20. Yet is it easier for him that is in danger to come into these things. Than to pass away as a cloud. To pass away as the cloud. Brothers and sisters. Didn't they say we was going to float up into the clouds? Say this, he said, it's easier, it's better to be living during this time than to pass away as a cloud out of the world. Continue, brother. Then to pass away as, <clears throat> then to pass away as a cloud out of the world. And? And not to see the things that happened in the last days. And what? And not to see the things that happened in the last days. See? And he answered unto me. 
and said, Brothers and sisters, any ideology that endorses the rapture doctrine is unethical from a biblical standpoint, okay? Now, from a, a Hollywood theatrical standpoint, yes, that's, I mean, it's great TV. It really is great TV, but it's theatrics, brothers and sisters. It's not real, okay? Jump down to verse 20, uh, 23, brother. We read 23 uh, through 26. 2 Ezra 13 and 23. He that shall endure the peril in that time hath kept himself. They that be fallen into danger are such as have worked. Read that again. They that be fallen into danger are such as have worked. In faith toward the Almighty. The, the text is telling that believers, believers, those looking to do the works of the Most High will be in danger. See that? Which is showing you what? That the wicked will rise. Brothers and sisters. Read the next scripture, please. Verse 24. Know this, therefore, that they which be left behind are more blessed than they that are be dead. Look at this, brothers and sisters. <laughs> the pre-tribulation rapture cannot be scripturally substantiated. Okay? The, the futuristic rapture theory taught by theologians is a deception. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 24. Know this, therefore. That they which be left behind are more blessed than they that be dead. See, so it's clear that modern theologians purposely misinterpreted scriptures deceptively. Continue, brother. Verse 25. This is the meaning of the vision. Whereas thou sawest a man coming up from the midst of the sea. The same is he whom God the highest hath kept a great season which by his own self shall deliver his creature, and he shall order them that are left behind. Look at this again. Look at the deliverance again. Look at look at this again, brothers and sisters. Read that. 26, brother, please. Second Ezra 13 and 26. The same is he whom God the highest hath kept a great season, which by his own self shall deliver his creature. By his own self he shall deliver his people, his creature, right? Through Christ. And he shall order them that are left behind. So the first thing that comes is deliverance. What comes after deliverance? He shall order them that are left behind. You see that? So first comes deliverance. That deliverance is linked with what? Your willingness to be ordered. <laughs> See, brothers and sisters, he said, I'm not delivering you for no reason, okay? You don't invest in something you're not expecting a return on. Let's put it that way, okay? You don't invest in something without wanting a return. He said, I'm going to deliver you. I will do that. However, there's going to be a contract, okay? Contractually speaking, he shall order them that are left behind. See? Jump to verse 48 and 49, brother, please. What's that, sir? Second Ezra 13 and 48. We just wanted to show you the motive behind their deception, brothers and sisters, okay? He shall order them that are left behind as an army. 
But those that be left behind of thy people are they that are found within my border. Now he's telling you where to go in order to be safe. Continue. Verse 49. Now when he destroyeth the multitude of the nations that are gathered together, he shall defend his people that remain. So clearly it's telling you that other nations, nationalities, okay? This is not countries alone. Nations is nationality will come together against us. How do we know that they're the aggressor? Read it again, brother. Verse 49. Now when he destroyeth the multitude of the nations that are gathered together. How do we know they're the aggressor? He shall defend his people that remain. He shall what? He shall defend. See that? That word defend implies they need a defense. You see that, brothers and sisters? Which means they're on the defensive. See? So here it was. They're telling you, well, no, you'll float up into the sky. Christ is telling us, the Bible is telling us that no. There's a war. Christ is coming back for war. Okay? You, no one's floating up into the sky. A servant is not more worthy than his master. If Christ had to suffer these things, have ye not also? It gets worse before it gets better, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Luke 21. Let's go to the gospel. Luke 21 and 24. What's that say, brother? Luke 21 and 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Christ prophesied that Jerusalem would be taken and her people conquered and dispersed. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Look at that. Until what? Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. When examining the passage closely, we see that the author implies a need for deliverance. How do we know? Read that again, brother. Verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. These people shall fall by the edge of the sword, which happened in 70 A.D., and shall be led away captive and, into all nations. And what? Shall be led away captive into all nations. See, the word captive implies need for deliverance. Once again, brothers and sisters. See, as specified in the text, the Gentiles are given a, de a designated period of time to rule. See? Continue. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. That means Jerusalem would be overrun with people who are Gentiles. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So there's a time frame. See? So here we see that a specific period of time to reign has been allotted to the Gentiles in accordance with this text. And they know this. They know that their time is not going to last. They know that it's only a time frame. It's only a short time compared to the everlasting king that comes subsequent. Let's go to Matthew 24 and 30, brother. We're talking about deliverance. Matthew 24 and 30. Because we're showing you that people need deliverance. Christ is coming back for war. Matthew 24 and 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. 
And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Then they shall what? Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This text clearly reflects their emotional attitude towards this upcoming event. Can you read that again, brother? Because when you examine the text again, it appears that this response is ubiquitous. Read that again, brother. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and... And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Now you have to ask yourself, why would all the tribes, why would all the nations of the earth mourn? See that? In this passage, we read of a calamitous day for unrepentant sinners. See? So Christ, when Christ comes back, it tells you that people will mourn. According to Christians, people are going to be happy when Christ comes back because they're being floated up into the sky. Everything they're teaching is contrary to what Christ said. Everything. And if you don't read the Bible for yourself, if you don't actually open up the book, they will deceive you. Okay? Our people have to stop being so naive. We think because a person is nice to us, <laughs> okay, if a person is nice, then we can trust them. No. Christians are nice people. They're very kind people. But that doctrine will send you to hell, brothers and sisters. Read that again, please. Matthew 24 and 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great with glory. With power and glory. So we wanted to show you that what, brothers and sisters? We wanted to show you how the tribes of the earth would respond to Christ's second coming. And then ask the question, why? Why wouldn't these people be happy that Christ was coming back? Huh? Let's go to Romans 14 and 11. Why wouldn't they be happy if they're for Christ and Christ's people like they say, right? <laughs> so they say. Romans 14 and 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess unto God. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess to God. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Now, all Christians, they agree with this. So they say. I need you to look at this, brothers and sisters, because not only it says that every knee shall bow, so that's actions, and then confession is the heart. Do you see that? So not only does he want the actions, but he wants the heart. He says, as I live, every knee shall bow to Christ, right? And Christians would tell us that, yes, that's all they need to do is, is confess to God and bow down to Christ and They'll be delivered. Let's see. Let's go to Jeremiah 16 and 14. 
Let's go here. Because Christ is coming back for war. Why are these people mourning at the second coming of Christ? We're going to show you. Jeremiah 16 and 14. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said. The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children out, <clears throat> excuse me, that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north. North America. Brothers and sisters, Jeremiah presents the concept of a coming second exodus, which is a typological fulfillment of the first exodus. He's telling you that this exodus from America is going to be so great, they won't even speak of Egypt again. Read that again from the top, please, brother. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said. They will no more say, The Lord liveth, that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Remember when the Lord brought those people out of Egypt? But the Lord liveth. They say now, the Lord liveth. That brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. The Most High made a remarkable promise, brothers and sisters, that there would be a, a new measure of his greatness and redemptive power, right? Continue. Verse 16. Behold, I will sin for many fishers, saith the Lord. Now, hold up. Hold up now, because go back up. Because after our current captivity is completed, the Most High will be known for delivering our people from North America. So look at this. First, we see deliverance, right? Let's see the deliverance first. 15 is deliverance, right? Jeremiah 16 and 15. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers. I will send for many fishers. So that those fishers are trying to do what? Deliver you. See, that's deliverance. To bring you deliverance. To pull you out of the water. The turbulent waters. See, fishers are delivering. See, we're delivering these fish. Read. I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord. And they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hundreds. See that? Now comes service. <laughs> See, once you become a fish, now you become a hunter. See, you must first become one of those fish first. You must first get in the net. You must first be delivered. Brothers and sisters, you must first be delivered before now hunting. See, so he's telling you, you have a choice here. Be delivered or be hunted. See? <laughs> See that? Here it is. He's, he's being clear with this principle. And what is that principle? Let's read it again. 16, brother, please. Jeremiah 16 and 16. Behold, I will send for many fishers. Many fishers trying to pull people out of the world. Saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And? 
and after will I send for many hunters. But there'll come a time for hunting. And they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. We're just showing you the link between what? Deliverance and submission. Deliverance and service. First, there's an opportunity for reform. But if there's, but if that invitation is declined, wrath cometh afterwards, brothers and sisters. Instead of being driven to the most high in repentance, they will flee from him in continued rejection. It says they'll hide in the mountains. They'll hide in the caves. God is going to send us to drag their behind out of these mountains, out of these holes. Out of these caves that they're going to hide in. Brothers and sisters, they would be willing to hide in caves and mountains rather than to serve Christ. Why? Because he's a black man. That's part of the reason. That's not the only reason. But that is part of it. That is part of it. Don't be naive to think it isn't. It may have not been a part of it for you when you thought he was white. I've had brothers tell me straight up, older men, that if I if I would have saw a black Jesus when I was young, I may have not even be a Christian right now. I've had white men say this, older white men. Okay, let's go to Isaiah two and nineteen, brother, please. Isaiah the second chapter. When I brother Christopher read the nineteenth uh, through the twenty-first verse. Isaiah. 2 and 19 and they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord for the fear of the Most High and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth continue in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold his money which they made each one for himself to worship. Showing you that people were worshiping money. To the moles and to the bats. That means that it'll have no value to them during this time. To go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. See that, brothers and sisters? These energetic expressions were intended to show the utter impossibility of escape. Isaiah describes the vain attempt of men to flee the righteous judgment of Ahia. You see that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, because here is the, the classic record of man's response to his own sin. What does he do? Does he repent? Or does he do something else? Isaiah 2 and 20. In that day, man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord. They would go into the tops of ragged rocks rather than to repent. And for the glory of his majesty, when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. No place in all of creation will afford shelter to these fugitives, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you. Instead of recognize sin, instead of recognize repent and turn away. 
they would be willing to just go hide out. See? And try to avoid, try to evade the coming kingdom. No way, no how. Okay? Let's go to Isaiah 49, brother. Isaiah, the 49th chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 22nd through the 26th verses. Isaiah 49 and 22. Thus saith the Lord God. Who said? Thus saith the Lord God. Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms. So hold on. What are we seeing here? We saw in Isaiah 2 what? Hunters and fishers. Now he's seeing in Isaiah 49 the opportunity for these Gentiles to be delivered. See that? Now listen. Christ is not coming to kill everybody. But anybody unwilling to serve will die. So with the same principle, now we're talking to Gentiles. That's Koreans. That's Africans. That's white people. That's all these other people who are not Israelites are Gentiles. God taught us about deliverance. He said, I will deliver you. I will give you an opportunity, even though you're Gentiles. But you must serve. Read 22 again, brother, please. I, I really need the audience to get this. Isaiah 49 and 22. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles. He will lift up his hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms. They shall carry our sons in their arms. And thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. They're going to be babysitters, brothers and sisters. Read. Verse 23. And king shall be thy nursing father. They're going to be babysitters. See, brothers and sisters, okay? <laughs> They're going to be maids, brothers and sisters. They're going to be working. Why? Because he's telling you deliverance comes at a cost, okay? So if you want to be delivered, what's the cost, brother? Read it again, 23. What's the cost? And king shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and look up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. For what? They shall not be ashamed that wait for me. The times of the Gentiles are coming to an end, according to Isaiah 49. What we saw in verse 22, according to that passage, the world leaders will pay homage to God's people, okay? And it's clear that in 23, this particular passage speaks of Gentiles submitting to Israelites, something that clearly did not transpire in Israel's past. So this is a future prophecy, okay? Brothers and sisters, see? So the Most High is equitable. He said, listen, I will deliver you, okay? But you must serve. Okay, I'm not, the Most High is not a person who chooses, you know, who he loves and who he delivers based on color. No, no, he's no respecter of persons. But if you want deliverance, if you need him to deliver you, you better be prepared to serve at all costs.
Okay? So we're not here to say white people won't get into the kingdom and all that. Nah, nah, nah. Or African people are not getting into the kingdom. Nah, you'll get in. You'll get in if you follow the proper tenets that Christ laid out. However, there's a seven-year servitude, brothers and sisters, okay? Let's go to Zechariah, brother, 14 and 16. Zechariah, the 14th chapter, the 16th verse. We'll have Brother Christopher read 16 through 19. Zechariah 14 and 16. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be. Now, hold on, brothers and sisters, because there's that same principle. Read it again from the top. Please, brother, take your time here. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. That every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up. Now, let's, let's, there's, that's a mouthful, brothers and sisters. What do we see here? It shall come to pass that everyone that is left out of all the nations who came against Jerusalem. That tells you that there are nations that are going to come against Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. The Bible tells you those who are left, which means what? Those who are delivered. See, he's telling you those of the nations whom I deliver will do what? That every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. See that? He said, listen, I will, listen, it doesn't matter what nation you are, you can make it, but you shall serve. Continue. And to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, and it shall be that whoso will not come up from all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. He will withhold rain, which means the crops will die, which means famine, which shows you that there's some people, even after Christ come back, brothers and sisters, that are going to look to escape our rule, okay? Verse 18. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. See that? Why? Because he's telling you, I delivered you to serve. Okay? Read. Verse 19. This shall be the punishment of Egypt. This shall be the punishment of the Egyptians. And the punishment of all nations. And the punishment of all other nations. That come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. See that? The Feast of Tabernacles, which is around when? September, brothers and sisters. When you're supposed to what? Live outside in tents. Right? For that seven days. Or whichever part you could afford to do it for. Right? That's written of in Leviticus 23, where the holy days are. We just wanted to show you that Gentiles can be delivered. But it comes at a price. And that price is servitude. Okay, the most high God is willing to deliver you, but you must be willing to serve him and his people, the same people that served you. 
Okay? Let's go to Ezekiel 39, brother. Please. Ezekiel, the 39th chapter. Let's start at the 9th verse. Ezekiel 39 and 9. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons. We're reading prophecy before the kingdom is established, okay? And shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the handstaves, and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Look at this. This is nuclear proliferation, brothers and sisters, okay? So we're going to go gather and burn all weaponry of all the nations. Okay? No more weapons. Read. Verse 10. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest. For they shall burn the weapons with fire. And they shall spoil those that spoil them, and rob those that rob them, mm. saith the Lord God. Saith who? Saith the Lord God. What we're reading here is a day of total reciprocation. And see, this is why Christians don't like to go into the Old Testament. <laughs> see? This is why Christians don't go into the Old Testament. Because it's, 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 it's always, it's, we should get over it because you have everything now. So it's easy to say that was a long time ago when you've taken everything. So how about you give back what you stole and then we'll tell you when it's okay. All right. The Bible is telling you clearly there's a judgment coming. Okay. And if you're looking to be delivered, if you're looking to be saved, there's contingencies with that. You must be willing to serve black people, Hispanic people. Native people, the people who you were taught were poor, dirty, unethical, drug dealers, cartel members, gang members, those same people you're going to have to serve. So it's really up to you for self-preservation. For purposes of self-preservation, would you be willing to serve God and his people? In order to continue living. Let's go to Isaiah 14 and 1. Because this is the service. Okay. Christ is coming back. And guess what? They know that. That's why they're mourning. Brothers and sisters. That's why they're mourning. They're mourning. Like Matthew 20 and 30 says. Because they know this is what comes with Christ's return. What comes with Christ's return? Let's read it. Isaiah. 14 and 1. What's that saying, brother? For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. Who will he have mercy on? Have mercy on Jacob. And will yet choose Israel. He will choose the children of Israel. And set them in their own land. He will choose to do what? Set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined Look with them. Look at that. He said strangers will be joined to them. And the strangers shall be joined with them. And they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. The Bible is telling you there's going to be Gentiles who will need to cleave to the house of Jacob in order to be safe. And in the last days, we will begin to see this. 
Okay, we're going to begin to see white people in other nations <laughs> recognize the spirit of Christ in us, recognize the truth that we're saying and be drawn to us. Read verse two. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for his servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives whose captives they were. Read that again, brother. And they shall take them captives whose captives they were. And they shall rule over their oppressors. Who shall they rule over? They shall rule over their oppressors. This is the reason for Matthew 20 and 30. See? Why they mourn. All the tribes of the earth mourn when Christ comes. This is a prophecy foretelling a, a reversal of circumstances which would come for God's people. According to the author, there will be Gentiles in alliance with Israel. It says strangers shall be joined with them. So the ultimate way to conquer an enemy is to make them your friend. Do you see this? <laughs> see? So here it was. This is what comes on the other side of the second coming of Christ for Gentiles. See? And there's nothing wrong with this. Because we did this for hundreds of years. We've served for thousands of years, rather. So if it was okay for us, it better be okay. If this could be okay for God's people, then it, it should be okay for you. Especially when God's people have rules that they have to abide by. There's legislation that God has put in place to make sure that even when we rule over, we're not oppressive. See, go to Isaiah 60, brother, in 10. Isaiah, the 60th chapter, the 10th verse. What's that say? Read 10 through 12, brother. Isaiah 60 and 10. And the sons of strangers shall build up that wall. The sons of strangers, they will build the walls around our cities. And their king shall minister unto thee. What's minister mean? Minister means servant. It says they're, they're kings, they're presidents, they're, you know, the people who had the fame, those who were well-respected shall serve. Why? For in my wrath I smote In his wrath he smote us. But in my favor have I had mercy on thee. See, continue. Therefore, thy gate shall be open continually. They're going to build up our walls and the gates will stay open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night. Oh, constantly open. Why? That men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles. That men may bring the gifts, the money, the resources of the Gentiles. And that their kings may be brought. Continue. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Look at that. You see how service and deliverance is connected again there? Read that again, brother, please. Verse 12. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. So there'll be no deliverance for any kingdom or nation that refuses to serve. Those nations shall what? Those nations shall be utterly wasted. See that? This is why... Matthew 20 and 30 said all the nations of the earth mourned 
because they understood that democracy would be a thing of the past once Christ came. Okay? Democracy is dangerous. Democracy says that we can make anything law if we get enough people to agree. Okay? If we get enough people to agree to turn your rectum into a entrance instead of an exit, then we can make that law. See, and that's the danger of democracy. Because no matter how many people you can get to agree with you, doesn't make it right. Okay? We wanted to show you that Isaiah 60 is a journey of Gentile nations bearing material riches to Jerusalem. It said our gates would stay open continually to bring the riches or the forces or the resources of the Gentiles to our people. You see this? Read Isaiah 61 and 5, brother. Isaiah 61 and 5. Because deliverance is tied to what we're reading here for Gentiles, okay? You want to be delivered? We're not saying, we will never say Gentiles can't make it into the kingdom. You can make it, but it comes at a price. Okay? What's the price, brother? And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your binders. Look at this. The Most High will supply people to care for our flocks and to be our plowmen, our, our vine dressers. According to the text, priority confers priesthood privileges on Israel. We're going to show you this. Verse 6. But ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. See that? Priority confers priesthood privileges to Israel. And that's why he said they're going to stand and feed your flocks. Why? Because you're the priest of the Most High. See, it's not that you're great. <laughs> it's your position under me. Read that again, brother. Isaiah 61 and 6. But ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of your God. The ministers of our God, which means the servants of our God. And because of that, since you are the servants, since you work for God, ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. Why? Because tithes and offering go to the priest. See that? We are the priesthood. Therefore, their tithes and offering... Their resources come to us the same way it did in the Old Testament. All that tithes and offering didn't go to God. Of course, there's some that God burnt, but most of it was given to God's workers. Because why? These priests' job was never over. That sacrificing was being done 24 hours a day, brothers and sisters. Okay, there was always somebody coming with a sin offering or something. Okay, so this is how they fed themselves. The Bible is telling you because ye are the priests of the Most High. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. See? Read. Verse 7. For your shame ye shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. Israelites would not oppress their former oppressors. We would mediate between the Most High and the Gentiles. The Bible is showing us the office of the priesthood means the world shall be tributary to us. Let's read those again because I want Gentiles to know. The Bible says you can be saved. 
you can make it into the kingdom. And you're hearing this from Israelites. But it comes at a cost. And that is your service. Let's read five, brother. Isaiah 61 and five. And strangers shall be... <clears throat> and strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. What? What? Ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. Riches will be honorably presented to us as payment for our service of the priesthood, brothers and sisters. You see that the wealth of the nations will be given as wages for the occupation of the priesthood. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. For your shame ye shall have double. Read that again. For your shame ye shall have double. The text highlights our ever-expanding glory. And for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. We are reading a double compensation for the years of suffering. It says, everlasting joy shall be unto them. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. And see, that's the key. Because if you're going to be a people, God's people, you need to have a land. Okay, all people have a land except for us right now, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Zechariah 8 and 23. The title of today's lesson, the principle of deliverance. We showed how all people were delivered, starting with all of us from sin and how the Bible said, because you are delivered from sin, you become a servant of God. Right. And then we took that to what we move from all people in that liberty that liberation from sin and went to where we went to egypt and how the most high said let my people go that they may serve me that they may have a feast to me that they may sacrifice in the wilderness so right away he was telling pharaoh and moses that i will liberate these people not for the sake of liberating them but as a you know as their promise to do what or their vow to serve, brothers and sisters. And then we went from Gentiles, I mean, excuse me, we went from Israelites because of why? We can show you that our people can serve and only be delivered if we serve God, then we're going to show you serving also. Okay? Because if it's okay to show us serving for doing wrong, we're going to show you doing the same, brothers and sisters. Because if it's good enough for us, it's good enough for the rest of everyone else. Okay, let's go to Zechariah 8 and 23, brothers and sisters. Zechariah, the 8th chapter, the 23rd verse, that's the last verse in the 8th chapter of the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 8 and 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you. Why? For we have heard that God is with you. Why will they go with us? For we have heard that God is with you. See, so their primary emphasis in this passage is on Gentile nations being converted. 
Okay, a great number of converts is mentioned in this particular text. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 23, thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew. Read. Saying. Saying what, brother? We will go with you. Why? For we have heard that God is with you. See that? So the author clearly indicates that future conversions are inevitable. Okay? See? The Gentiles shall eagerly seek to learn from us, brothers and sisters. And it's okay. We tell Gentiles and, and all other people. It doesn't matter whether you're an African, a European. It doesn't really matter. If you come to the Bible, read it as it is written and follow the Bible every way in which you can. We're going to accept you. Okay? It doesn't matter what race you are. Because we're not accepting all Israelites because they're black. No, 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 no. That's unethical, okay? It's inappropriate and it's unethical to accept a person based on race alone. Okay? Let's end it here, brother. We're going to show you that that statement we made, Christ echoed. Let's go to John 10 and 16, brother. We're going to end it here. John, the 10th chapter. We're going to have the brother Christopher read the 16th through the 18th verse, and we're going to close it out here. John 10 and 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. He said, there's other sheep I have, which are not Israelites, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So he's saying, listen, do I not, do I only deserve to be worshipped by Israelites? Or do I deserve to be worshipped by all people? The Bible said that all knees shall bow, okay? Verse 17, therefore doth my father love me. Why? Because I lay down my life. That I might take it again. See that his love is based on what you're willing to lose. What you're willing to sacrifice. You see that brothers and sisters? He loves me. Why? Because I'm willing to sacrifice. Continue. Verse 18. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. We went here to show you that according to Christ, there are sheep that are not of this fold. Okay. And they may be the darkest African or the, the most whitest pasty European. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, brothers and sisters. If we're able to treat each other like the Bible says in love, in kindness, Okay, in forgiveness, in mercy, in long suffering, then this is how to work. And we wanted to show that even Gentiles, brothers and sisters, even Gentiles can be delivered. But you're going to have to humble yourself, Gentiles. Okay, you're going to have to bring your humility up and your pride down. Because according to the text, the only way for you to live is through agreeing to serve. At least for seven years. Right off the back of seven years, the Bible tells you all Gentiles will serve. They will feed the flocks. They will build the walls. They will clean the cities for seven years. 
Okay, after that, the Bible says we let you go. Because why? The Bible says after seven years, you have to let a man go. That's called the year of Jubilee. Okay? So if a man was a slave or even an indentured servant, why? Because that's the year of rest. So just like every seven days you have rest, every seven years you have rest. Okay, brothers and sisters? So what are we seeing here? We're showing you that God has other people that would be willing to serve. Okay? We must be, as the children of Israel, we must be a people worth serving. Okay? Let's be a people worth serving. The title of today's lesson was The Principle of Deliverance. Brothers and sisters, we went into a myriad of passages today. We learned the, the principle of deliverance. We learned how to be delivered from spiritual warfare, physical warfare, brothers and sisters. And we continue, as long as the Most High allows us to build on this foundation uh, as it pertains to spiritual warfare and how to be revived, brothers and sisters. Once again, the title of today's lesson, The Principle of Deliverance. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.